0: This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. Together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time.
1: We have a lowest unemployment in 50 years and we're at peace in the world but we have one of the highest levels of anxiety and depression we've ever had in our country. Why? It doesn't make sense. People can find jobs, they can make good income, they can go on vacations, they can clothe their family, because 88% of all people in this country feel they work for a company that does not care about them. If you don't feel cared for, it doesn't matter how much you're paid. So I say we're not creating leaders in this country. We're creating managers, bosses, and supervisors. It's because most people who work in in nonprofits, education, healthcare, government, don't feel cared for. And when they go home, not feeling cared for, it's hard to be the best care provider if you don't feel cared for yourself. Because when we teach people to be leaders, They tell us, they don't tell us they run a better accounting department or sales department. They tell us they have a better marriage and they have a better relationship with their children.
0: As chairman and CEO of the $3 billion capital equipment and engineering solutions firm, Barry Waymiller, Bob Chapman has led the company's transformation from traditional management practices to what they now call truly human leadership. Where Barry Waymiller team members feel valued, cared for, and an integral part of the company's purpose. A sought after speaker for his ideas about the powerful intersection of people centric leadership and good business strategy, Chapman is intentional about using his platform as a business leader to build a better world. His book, Everybody Matters, which chronicles his journey and leadership philosophy, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. He has also been featured in Simon Senek's book, Leaders Eat Last. In our conversation, we discuss the one tweak we can all make to transform our educational learning spaces and businesses, the responsibilities every leader has in an organization, how to rethink antiquated approaches to leadership, and how to measure true success in terms of the positive impact you can have on others. Mr. Chapman cares deeply about the mental health of the workforce and believes that caring and courage are the most important metrics in any leadership team. You can find more about Barry Waymiller by typing barrywaymiller.com into your search engine. Or you can find out about Truly Human Leadership by visiting his website, trulyhumanleadership.com. Thank you for listening. I just want to thank you, Bob Chapman, for Coming on Kindsight 101. My mission as an educator is to create cultures of belonging in schools, and I've branched out into talking to workplaces. And the way that you held in there with me and persevered in terms of uh, kind of overcoming this tech difficulty just exemplifies the way that you connect with people. You have an incredible company that you run, and. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on the show and thank you for your generosity this morning.
1: Well, I think uh, when I see voices in, in the world that are willing to, to join us in this mission to create a more caring world, uh, it's worth the effort because each time we connect things like this, you connect to your followers because we need to create a movement where people genuinely care for each other. And so it sounds like we're very much aligned in that, whether it's through education, whether it's in business, whether it's any aspect of our society. So uh, I am glad we connected. Obviously, it was meant to be that we connect.
0: Thank you so much. I was first drawn to your work when I read Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. And I think what really impressed me was, first of all, you're a $3 billion company, Barry Waymiller. And- During the 2008-2009 financial crisis, instead of doing what most companies were doing, which is to shave down their workforce, you opted to do something different, and it kind of exemplifies what truly human leadership is. Can you speak to that and talk a little bit about your decision-making around putting people at the forefront?
1: Yeah, I think for... uh people to understand the context, you know, I, the first half of my career was I I lived out what I was educated in and what I saw in the business world when I entered it, which was all about profits and growth and shareholder value. And, and we were fortunate because I had some revelations that awakened me to some new ideas which are embodied in my book and in Simon's book, uh, which talks about it. But the one that is important is that we never really had a constitution of our values. We have a constitution in the United States that guides our legal system, guides our behavior, and all laws need to be in harmony with, with our constitution. So we fortunately created what we call the guiding principle of leadership about 15 years ago. And that was a profound document, almost like the founding fathers created our constitution. And it gave us a point of reference and came out at a time when Enron was going through the debacle Melting down and Enron had great values on the wall, but they didn't have them, you know, they didn't live them. Mm. And so it, it motivated us to create this document and then go out and start prophesizing this document, sharing it, asking people, you know, telling people what we believed in, how were we doing? So that's part of the background. So when the economic crisis hit uh, had we not created this foundational document of what leadership is, which is we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people, I would have done what I was taught, what everybody else did. Because when I walked into my board meeting in January of 09, my board said to me, aren't you gonna need to lay off people? And I said, why do you say that? And they said, well, because everybody is. And, and I said, well, no, I don't think so. But then a couple of months later, uh, a major order we had, so it gave us confidence that we could work, got put on hold by a major company. And I said, Oh my goodness, it's hit us. Mm. But I had been talking about caring for people and measuring success by the way we touch the lives of people, I sat in my hotel room in Italy where I where I learned of this order being put on hold. And and I said, Oh my gosh, it's hit us. What am I gonna do? Well, traditionally I would have done what everybody else did. You know, it's just business, you know, it's not Not that I don't like the people, we just have to right size, downsize, lay off to get our economic model in harmony with this uh, reduced economy. But because I had been talking so much about caring, because these revelations had created a whole new sense of purpose for me, which was people. I sat in my room and and when I learned of this, I said, if we let people go, we're going to hurt people and we can't hurt people. So I said, what would a caring family do if family faced a crisis? Everybody would take a little pain so that nobody had to take a lot of pain. And so that stimulated a whole different way of thinking. I said, what if everybody took a week off, a month off without pay sometime when it worked for them personally? Because if I'm gonna ask people to give up a month's salary, I need to give them something in fair return. And what I gave them is flexibility on when they used it so they could be with their family uh, or, or do something that really is important to them, and the reaction was amazing. Mm. Because people were thrilled because, you know, when you when you go back to people and say, "Look, at, we don't want to hurt people. We want to act as a family. So if you would take a month off, nobody will be hurt." People reacted with joy.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, and and people started. An older gentleman volunteered to take a young first team member's. Part of his week, so because he knew the young team member needed the income more than he did as an older gentleman, and so we started to have acts of you know, uh, uh, of goodness you know, people just spontaneous acts of goodness. People just started helping each other because they felt safe, they now understood the impact, they could adjust to it, and their friend sitting next to them or in the other department was not going to get hurt. So it was, a, it was an amazing response to something stimulated by our guiding principle of leadership, which is our foundation of what leadership is. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it stimulated my thinking in a whole different way than I was taught and that I experienced in the business world. And our our morale went up dramatically. People felt safe. And they were more than willing to give up a month's pay so that other people wouldn't get hurt. And Simon was incredibly impacted by that, uh, touched by that. And that's why he wrote about it. Matter of fact, uh, the lady that was his collaborator on Leaders Eat Last uh, actually told me when I was up there in New York that the struggle she had with Simon on that book is that all he wanted to do was talk about Barry Wimler. And she said, Simon, you need to talk more than Barry Wimler. So <laughs> um, so when you when, when you talk about leaders eat last, that came from the military of officers eat last. Mm -hmm. In the military, we train officers that your primary responsibility is the men and women in your command, okay? Mm -hmm. And Simon would say, why can't we teach business leaders your primary responsibility is the men and women in your care? Why can't we have the same standard of care in business that we do in the military?
0: Wow, such a profound... Approach to leadership. And I know that you have, I've watched your TED talk, I've read your book, I've listened to a number of your keynote speeches about this. And you have demonstrated incredible, innovative leadership, but you believe that there's a leadership crisis right now across the board in healthcare, in education, in businesses, in nonprofits. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your hopeful vision is for the future?
1: Um, yes, I the because I give so many talks and so many fesses of our society, I wanna go back to that in, in many ways our government responsibility is to create a sense of economic security and safety. Hmm. So you develop skills, you can find a job, you can create income, you can provide for your family, you can provide for your education, put a roof over your head. So the theory behind all that is if we create a good economy, free enterprise economy, people will be able to share their gifts and be fairly compensated for it. And, and people will have money. But the underlying premise is that money is the source of happiness. Okay, And, and so what we learned in this journey is, is that that is not the primary source of happiness. The primary source of happiness is a good job working with people you enjoy. So in this journey, uh, when we began, and we realized that what is what you know, what is the purpose of our company? Uh, Somebody, I say to people, you know, we build big equipment. I say to people, I'm not proud of the equipment we build. I'm I'm proud of the people who build the equipment. And I was interviewed by a a university. organizational development team. And at the end of the conversation, they said, you're the first CEO we've ever talked to that didn't talk about their product. Hmm. I've been talking about our product for the last hour. It's our people. And so I believe that the problem is that, because we're again, in every facet of our society, we have a lowest unemployment in 50 years and we're at peace in the world, but we have one of the highest levels of anxiety and depression we've ever had in our country why it doesn't make sense people can find jobs they can make good income they can go on vacations they can clothe their family why do people feel this anxiety because 88 percent of all people in this country feel they work for a company that does not care about them Mm -hmm. if you don't feel cared for it doesn't matter how much you're paid so i say we we're not creating leaders in this country we're creating managers bosses and supervisors and and the reason we have this and in, in our universities, it's called an epidemic of anguish because these students coming into our universities, according to the universities, are coming at record levels of anxiety and depression. And nobody knows wh- how to care for these young people in their schools. And, and nobody knows what to do about it. You know, why do we have this? And I say to you, it's because most people who work in, our, in, in nonprofits, education, healthcare, government, don't feel cared for. And when they go home, not feeling cared for, It's hard to be the best care provider if you don't feel cared for yourself, because when we teach people to be leaders, they tell us, they don't tell us they run a better accounting department or sales department. They tell us they have a better marriage and and they're better and they have a better relationship with their children, Mm. which is astounding to me. So when I look at our society, we don't have leaders. We have managers and bosses and supervisors who, and and I define the word management as the manipulation of others for your success. Hmm. Leadership is the stewardship of the people you have the privilege of leading. So so the language is broken, the behavior is broken, and we have created a crisis. I call it leadership malpractice. Because one of the things, again, that I never knew, I was never taught, never heard, ever read, is that the way we treat people at work affects the way they go home and treat their families. And it is a primary factor in their health. The Mayo Clinic told us the person you report to at work is more important to your health than your family doctor. There's no way that we prepare people for that awesome responsibility in our business schools, in our organizations. We promote people with technical skills Without, but not human skills. Maybe they're a nice person. Maybe they're a person driven by results. So we have this. We don't have leadership in any facet of our society. And we are seeing it, the manifestation of that in anxiety, depression. At the very t- time, we have record levels of peace and prosperity. Does that make sense to
0: you? Yes, it does. And it makes, you know, I think this is something that is a major concern for me as well. Because I, I teach children, and we've seen record numbers of depression and anxiety, not only in our graduating students, but also in the young ones who are at the elementary school level or the middle school level. And so it's really concerning and it makes a lot of sense, the ripple out effect.
1: As a teacher, let me just, yes, perspective here. We are out helping companies who believe what we believe join us in the journey. And so I call that treating cancer. Hmm. The cure for cancer is our education system. Hmm we're talking to people who are trying to bring a higher purpose to education rather than just intellectual knowledge relationship knowledge mm. i would say to you the issue is because i asked the people up at harvard why do we create an educ? what was the purpose of our educational system in this country and he said originally uh, the founding fathers felt that we needed an informed citizenry to have a democracy you need informed citizens to have Responsible democracy. Okay, but well, what happened is in the industrial revolution, these corporations growing all over the country, building products, shipping in all over the world. They needed technical skills, and they went to the university and said, "We need engineers. We need scientists. We need accountants. We need you know biologists, etc." And so our university system was a feeding system for the industrial revolution for technical skills. They didn't come and say to our universities, we need leaders who know how to care. They said, we need financially literate people. We need educationally literate people. We need scientists. We need engineers to feed us. So our education system migrated from creating informed citizenry to creating a technical product. And so I say to you, our universities are a manufacturing system. Mm -hmm. They get raw material, which is talented young men and women, they process them through a system and they sell them to the market at the highest price they can get and they judge your success on the demand. And our education system is is educating our brains in terms of, you know, science and biology and math and geography and history, but we are not creating human knowledge. So we don't know how to live together and care for each other. Because from day one, it's been about intellectual knowledge and the the recognition and celebration of intellectual knowledge rather than human skills. So we need an education system that creates the skills, and the thing we need to teach people is how to care for each other.
0: I love that. That is so profound. And I think the fact that you talked about judging success on our demand is really interesting because I think these days, as opposed to before, The demand for innovative leaders, people who do care, people who have high EQs, people who are able to communicate effectively, that demand has gone up because this is really the kind of world where we get to pick ourselves. And so can you talk a little bit about your vision for the purpose of education, higher education, how we can be shifting our perspective?
1: Yes, well, I'm going to give you a story. We, there's a school in Charlotte, North Carolina, a very prominent private school that asked us to come and talk about leadership because they wanted to bring a leadership program into the high school, K, K through 12. So I was privileged to go down and talk to them. And they said to me, "Mr. Chapman, would you like to see a class?" I said, "Fine." So they they chose to take me to a debate class, a class where four young men, in this case, were practicing to go to Chicago for a national debating contest. So they said, Mr. Chapman, we'd love for you to sit in on the class and then give us any comments uh, um, at any time. And I said, fine. So I sat down kind of unprepared, and I watched these four young men debate for probably 10 or 15 minutes. They said, Mr. Chapman, what do you think? And I said, I just saw what's wrong with this country. And they said, what? <laughs> and I saw four young men that someday will be a United States congressman or senator. Because I saw what we do in this society. We debate, I'm right and you're wrong. I said, why don't we teach people to listen to each other mm. so we understand each other? So that we can work out our differences, so we don't have the behavior manifested in our government, in our homes, where we don't know how to listen to each other. We try to convince each other that we're right and and we we reward people who are good at debating. Okay. Instead of listening. And, and when I ask people, why don't we teach people to collaborate, to work together? They don't know what I mean in the education field because they're so stuck in their rut. We teach math and algebra. We do grades because they're trying to produce kids that can get into colleges and colleges are trying to produce kids that businesses want or our society wants instead of what we need. Steve jobs, didn't give us what we wanted. He gave us what something we didn't even know we needed, which is a phone that became a source of information so i would say to you education is tied to producing technically competent people rewarding technically competent people it is not judged on whether we're creating leaders so i say to the education system when you when you when you look at the issues we face in our society look in the mirror you are the one creating this product that is failing which is young men and women who don't have any perspective because it's all about getting to the right colleges, getting the right grades. And and it's it's not about how do we teach people to care for each other.
0: Hmm. And you've talked about specifically this concept of deep listening as one of the key leadership skills that we need to be teaching, not only our managers, our leaders, but also our students. And can you speak to that a little bit about what deep listening is and how empathy is tied in that?
1: Well, we call it, so what happened is when we decided that we needed to create a university because we couldn't send our managers to a university to become leaders because universities teach management. They don't teach leadership. They don't teach caring. So we had to create from scratch. How do we transform management into leaders. We created, a, so our team kind of came up with, so we had a clean sheet of paper to start with. We weren't tied in tradition. We just said, how do we create this ability to, for leaders to care profoundly about the people they have the privilege of leading? And one of our team members said, well, if we're going to do that, we need to, we need to uh, uh, teach them communication skills. And I said, which is listening, empathetic listening. I said, well, why do we need to teach adults? We all know how to listen. I thought listening was actually just listening to the, what came into our uh, ears from people's mouths. And they overrode me and created a class. I didn't know what they did, how they did it. And so a few months later, I'm in Minneapolis and a young lady in, running our personnel department came up to me. She was in her thirties and she came up to me and she said, Mr. Chapman, I just took your communication skills class, which is empathetic. listening." I said, you did, what was it like? I had no idea, and she said, it changed my life. Hmm. Wait, we taught a three-day class in our company that changed your life? Help me understand. She said, I now know how to raise my two-year-old daughter. Hmm. And And that my senses just went on high alert because I couldn't believe that we actually created something that would profoundly affect mothers and fathers who are in our care, the way they go home and teach people. So... We started getting into it and we started running around the country and the people said, I wouldn't be divorced now. You know, my teenage daughters are calling me. My wife and I have the best relationship ever because we've learned that we talked to each other, but we didn't listen to each other. Mm. We just had this explosion uh, from this jewel that we'd found, which is empathetic listening. So what I thought when you cared for somebody, you went over and talked to them. It turns out when you care for somebody, you go over to listen to them with empathy. And it's a skill that is teachable. And so when we teach it at work to help people be better leaders, they don't come and tell us they run a better accounting department. They tell us how profoundly it's affected their personal life. And, and so again, the biggest thing we've learned about what is missing in leadership is that in and, and all facets of our country, and again, I, I speak in all facets, healthcare, military, et cetera, people don't feel cared for because we haven't given the skills to care. Hmm
0: that's really profound,
1: right? It's, it's unbelievable. And nobody, it's nobody. And I I speak all over the world, really. And all over this country, nobody debates what I just said to you. It's just so far from where we are as an education system, as organization, because we, we value technical skills. What the key to, to our society is human skills in harmony with technical skills. So we can use those technical skills in thoughtful ways, allow people to be who they're intended to be and and so again biggest thing we teach is empathetic listening which is being present and having the skills to ask thoughtful questions when and rather than judging being an active listener and uh, it is if you heard the stories I have heard now in the last 12 years you would sob at, at, at the healing power of empathetic
0: listening thank you for sharing that I want to be mindful of your time, and I normally do three rapid questions at the end of the interview, but before I do that, because I mean, we've just scratched the surface, I could talk to you for hours, honestly, I'm wondering if there's anything that you would like to leave the listeners with before we do move on to that, related to advice, perhaps for educational leaders on how to move forward, and Perhaps even a question that they might ask themselves to help guide them.
1: Well, let me just. When you speak in the field of education, we just we began uh, about ten years ago decide that we had a gift that we needed to share with the world. So Cynthia and I began a nonprofit to teach uh, empathetic listening outside our company and communities across the country, where we had similar feedback that we had in our company. And recently, uh, we felt called to elevate that, to to bring it to K through 12 education. Uh, And we did some experiments in Austin, Texas, through an amazing uh, team to try to bring this message to younger people. Because so many people said to us in their 20s and 30s, I wish I had known this when I was dating. I wish I had known this when I was raising kids, you know, when I got married. So we, we knew we needed to reach a younger audience. And so we have refocused our effort on how are we gonna, if you will, influence the education system to help them embrace their part in the pain that people are feeling in this epidemic of anguish. And, and, and so we, we've shifted and we're starting to begin to work in the education system to see how could we impact the curriculum and the objectives of education rather than just getting kids intellectual skills to give them in harmony with that human skills. And then we met a group of people uh, the other day in New York that are trying to bring spirituality into education. It's kind of a similar message. It's not about faith, spirituality, when they mean it, it means believing in something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. I, and this lady named Lisa Miller at, Columbia, at Teachers College at Columbia University. Uh, has done some studies that basically validate that people who have a higher purpose, a higher sense of, of, of what life is about, and that, which I will define as spirituality, believing in something bigger than yourself, are more resilient to you know have, experience less depression, less anxiety, better values. And, it's, it, it, and so they're trying to bring this into education system. So again, my, I say to the education system, The way we are being stewards of these young lives and seeing it manifest itself in adults, we've got to teach more than just, you know, what's the state capital of Idaho? (laughs) That's, you know, scientific formulas. We need to go back and teach people how to live together where they genuinely care about each other and feel cared for themselves. So education is the issue uh, that has manifests itself in all the things we see in our society that frustrate us so much because we haven't learned to care for each other.
0: Mm, thank you. So beautifully put. So for these rapid-fire questions, if you can answer the question in a couple of words or less, I'll start with the first one. What does kindness mean to you?
1: Listening with empathy. Mm.
0: Mr. Chapman, what one skill or superpower does an educator need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: To, to see the person they're dealing with as somebody's precious child. Mm.
0: And finally, what one message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that could be sold in bookstores around the world?
1: Leadership is a privilege. Hmm.
0: Mr. Chapman, this has been an absolute delight. As I said, I could speak to you for hours. I know that there is so much tactical advice that you have available to our listeners. I will be sure to put all of your social media and links to your book and to your amazing training workshops, because I know once in a while you'll do training for leaders outside of your company and I will be putting that in the introduction, but is there anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off today?
1: Um, Yes, I believe that those who connect with our message as you have, need to understand that I feel that I, we have been blessed with a message that could profoundly change the world as we know it, where people could have a chance to express their gifts develop those gifts further be recognized for their gifts and go home each day knowing that who they are and what they do matters and i and and because i have been privileged to speak in every facet of our society i see the pain people are feeling that they take home at night that influences our young children and so i want I, I want us to heal the family from which these young children come that are sent to school because that is the source of the issue. And the education system is, is a powerful force for good in the world if we embrace the whole person, not just the intellectual part of it. So uh, it's very clear to me that we, we don't need to change laws. You know, we need, don't need to change political parties. We simply need to embrace our responsibility in this journey to create a world where everybody matters.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate your gifts and your message. You are so wise, and we are so, so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you.
1: I, um, you know, the thing that, first of all, you're elegant. I'm glad we finally made it.
0: Hmm.
1: And so anytime you want to follow up with and say, you know, the conversation stimulated a few more questions uh, you're so elegant. I would be glad to do this. this is a very easy way to spread our message around the world.
0: Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. That is so generous. I really appreciate your time and have a beautiful day today. Thank you.
1: It's the only kind of day to have. So let us know what comes of this. Okay. I
0: absolutely will. I will follow up and give you all the information. Thank you, Mr. Chapman. Thank
1: you. Thank you very
0: much. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. this has been another episode of kind sight 101 the podcast for links to resources mentioned in this episode visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number now i'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book which will provide ideas actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness Can't wait to hear from you.